going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we'll pray again for those who are absent and for us who are going to be listening. Peter writes, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see all the wonderful things that are found in your word. May you speak to us. By your inerrant word, may it have its effect in us by your spirit. Lord, we pray for those uh, believers, those dear saints who are not well, who are at home. May you strengthen them, Lord, through their illness. Lord, for those who are going through other trials and tribulations, we pray that you would strengthen them. May your church be a source of encouragement for them. We lift them before your throne of grace and ask for your help and your assistance. Care for them, strengthen them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you've ever been involved in an attempt to get in shape uh, or an attempt to Uh, Do some kind of athletic event. If you were an athlete, you trained yourself with various steps that you would take, whether that's a nutritional plan to keep you lean, right, or to provide your body with the energy that it needs. Uh, Perhaps it was a a plan of exertion, uh, whether you're running uh, laps, miles, whether you're in the weight room or in a pool or whatever, a track, whatever it is that you needed to do to get in shape, you know that that doesn't happen by accident. You don't just fall into being in shape. I can confess to that, right? You, you, that doesn't just happen. You have to engage in certain actions and you have to have certain attitudes and certain practices that will end in that desired goal, that desired outcome. Well, let me tell you, spiritual growth does not happen accidentally. Spiritual growth does not happen accidentally. There are decisions that you must make. There are desires that you must cultivate. Right? There are actions that... You must seek to be involved in. And if you're going to, as the verse tells us this morning in verse 2, if we are to grow in respect to salvation, if you're going to grow up, right? If you are going to be strengthened and you are going to see spiritual growth, that there are certain things you are going to need to do. And, and that is the goal, growth. That, that is the aim that Peter has 
within these very verses. Long, he says, for the pure milk of the word. There's the command. There is one command in verses 1 through 3, and that is it. Long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that growth may occur. So that you might grow. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul told his young apprentice, who was an aspiring elder and pastor and who Paul used as a a ministry leader, he told Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. That little word train, or your version it might say discipline, is the Greek term gymnazo. Gymnazo, what does that sound like? Well, it sounds like our English word gymnasium, right? Or a gym. Some of you have a membership to a gym. And if you're like anything like I was with a gym membership, you are the meme, right? The gym is full in January and empty the rest of the year, right? It's full that first couple of weeks of January and then it's empty, right? You do realize you're, you are a meme, right? There are memes about you. I know. I was that guy at times too, right? No, gymnazo, it, it gives the idea of exerting energy and effort. It's a, it's a workout. And Paul says, hey, there is effort, there is labor, there is toil to be expressed in your pursuit of godliness, Timothy. You're not just going to sit around and all of a sudden become godly. As Christians, though we've been born again, we need to cultivate certain attitudes and actions for growth to happen. Certain spiritual development. It's similar even to athletic training. Where day after day, you have a plan and that athlete trains. Well... The same is true day after day with a plan. Believers, Christians, grow. Sanctification is not a a, a casual endeavor. It will take, at times, blood, sweat, and even tears. It is going to include labor and toil and discomfort and pain. But if you've done any of that gym work, you know that that pain is good, right? Right? It's it's a good kind of pain. It's a pain that's going to result in those things that you ultimately want to see. And so Peter here says, you know, the key to spiritual growth is the cultivation of godly desires. And that cultivation will include things that you need to rid yourself of, right? It's kind of like the, the potato chips and the cookies and uh, chocolate cake you need to lay aside right after you're going to be serious about your getting in shape right there are certain things in that nutritional plan that you need to rid yourself of and then there are other things that you need to eat right that you need to consume right and so really what we have here is Peter's nutritional plan for the believer. There are things you need to get rid of, things you need to lay aside to keep you from, that will keep you from spiritual growth, and then there are things 
You need to hunger for and feed yourself with. You, you need the, 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 the liver and the, the meat, right? You, you need those, the, those, uh, those particular uh, enzymes and ingredients for growth, for energy to be produced, for you to have the results that you want. And so this morning I want to examine two of those essential ingredients for this spiritual growth, this godly desiring that Peter is praying for and instructing and encouraging of these exiles. And the first one we see in verse 1. And this, these are hindrances that pollute spiritual growth. These are hindrances that pollute spiritual growth. Notice that Peter begins verse 1 with that word, therefore. Now you want to look at the immediate context, and it's there that you see, well, he is talking about this new life that is ours, that we've been born again. That's why we have this new capacity for loving one another, but because we've not been born by a corruptible, decaying, failing seed like our first birth, but we have been born again by an incorruptible seed, the living and enduring Word of God. And so Peter says, listen, in light of that, in light of this new birth, in light of the fact that you have been born again, you are a, a new person. You need to what? What does he say? Lay aside. Laying aside all malice. You need to, you need to put, put it away. Cast it aside. And he lists five vices, five sins that you need to, to lay off. Like they are a, a dirty, stained piece of a clothing or a garment, you need to remove those and lay aside these things. Now, in essence, Peter is saying, listen, these kinds of things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, they may be true of the unbeliever. They may be true of that old nature along with that unregenerate heart. But that isn't to be who you are now. There is a change. There, there is a transformation that happens with this new heart, with this regenerated heart that we have. And Peter says, you need to lay aside that old stuff. You may have been engaged. That may have been your nutritional plan then. It cannot be now. Lay that stuff aside. Because in reality, think about that command he just gave prior Fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. Man, you look at these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Those all kill that kind of love. They all kill that kind of uh, fellowship that is to be shared and if you are going to obey the command above, loving one another fervently from the heart, you cannot be cultivating these vices. You can't be cultivating these kinds of sins. You won't be able to love. These sins kill love. 
And so Paul's, or Peter says, take these things off. Notice the, the five things that he mentions. All malice. This really could just be translated, uh, malice here could be just translated evil, bad. But likely it's translated malice here because of the social slant, because of that command above it. It's a general ill will towards someone. You just decide you don't like them. You have ill towards them. And just so you know, malice is a sin that tears at the very fabric of the church. How can one have a a simmering and festering disdain for someone and still be obedient to the command to love one another, to have brotherly affection, to have love covering a multitude of sins. I'll tell you right now, you can't. If you're cultivating malice, you you cannot love the brethren. An ill will destroys any measure of love. And so spiritual growth cannot happen if you are still clothed in malice. And so Peter says, lay it aside. He also says, all deceit. It literally means catching with bait. Just as a a fisherman would bait a hook or a hunter would set a trap. That's what the deceitful person does. They, They operate in an illusion. Saying one thing but meaning another. You can think of it as deception or dishonesty or falsehood. It it only hinders love for one another. And it hinders spiritual growth. All all trickery. All schemes of manipulating. Those things need to be put away. They need to be cast aside. Remember what we learned in Ephesians 4. We We are to speak the truth. We are to put aside all falsehood. We don't want to cultivate deceit. Third, he says hypocrisy. This vice hides behind a mask. That's the idea. That's what hypocrisy is. You you put on a face. It's not really your face. It's something else. You, You color it a certain way. It's things that can be seen. And the hypocrite, right, hides his true intentions in the shadows while only allowing part of his face or that part that will convince you to do his bidding to be visible. This is a a fabrication. It's a a phoniness. This is the exact opposite of sincerity. It's the exact opposite of genuine. Remember Paul says in Romans 12, let your love be without hypocrisy. Right? Without a face. There's no phoniness. To this. It's real. It's genuine. It, it bubbles up. It's just there. Paul says, you, you, or Peter says, you can't cultivate hypocrisy and still love your brother. You can't cultivate hypocrisy and, and still grow spiritually. It's a hindrance. It's a hindrance that pollutes our spiritual growth. Then he says, envy. Envy, we probably know well, is to want what others have, to, to want to be who others are, to maybe have resentment about someone else's situation because it's not your situation. And so this is how grudges 
This is how bitterness begins to fester. This is how hatred and conflict come about is because of envy and the fruit of envy. This is contrary to love. Instead of desiring the best for others, even at your own expense, which that's what love is, by the way. If you're wanting a, a biblical definition, that's what love is. Love is sacrificial giving of others for the betterment of others, for the sake of others, even if it costs me stuff. Even if it costs me all. That's what love is. And envy eats that away. Envy will pollute any attempt at spiritual growth. It will pollute any attempt at at seeking to fervently love. And then slander. Right? If envy is in our heart, if it's in our inner being, if hypocrisy is in our, if deceit and malice, these kind of secret intentions of the heart, if they're in there and they're stewing and simmering and festering and we're cultivating that, make, there's no doubt slander will follow. Right? Slander is the expression of all that stuff that's in your heart. It's speech that runs others over. Right? That deliberately attacks their person. And by the way, they usually do it from behind. Right? They do it from behind. They're not doing it to the, to the person. They're not, they're not taking the, the, the biblical, the right step, which by the way, let me just remind you, my own thinking on this, and, and I try to live by this, albeit imperfectly, but... If someone offends me, if, if someone has an angst against me, my, my general, what I try to do is, is this something that love covers a multitude of sins? Which means, hey, we all sin. It's, it's, a, it's a reality. And so I need to cover it, you know, 1 Peter 4.8. It's not something that requires me to go after that person or to deal with it. I can just cover it. You do it all the time. If you're married, if you have kids, man, you do that all the time. Right? Love covers a multitude of sin. Not everything is worthy of confrontation. Not everything is worthy of our, you know, going to them. But the second thing is then Matthew 18, where you go to them. Nowhere are we called upon to go slander someone who isn't there. To, to give a character assassination, our, our, what we need to do is go to that person. Over and over, Scripture tells us to do that. And so we can't cultivate slander. You know, you, included in slander would be that concept of like malicious gossips, right? They're constantly getting together in their little groups and just nitpicking and assassinating verbally people. That can't be true in the church can't cultivate that you you can't do that and then love the brother the brethren fervently it just can't happen if you're cultivating these five desires you you most certainly are not loving the brethren from a pure heart these vices are anti-love they're anti-fellowship they're anti-church and hear me small a they're anti-christ they're anti-christ they really are. These are things we discard. These are things we cast and lay aside. We don't cultivate. And chances are, if you're cultivating those things, 
you're not going to be doing what Peter does call you to do in the next verse. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. You're not going to do that. You're too busy cultivating all of these various vices that are anti-love, anti-church, anti-fellowship. You're not going to long for the word. Sin always keeps you from that. Are you carrying a grudge against someone this morning? Do you have bitterness in your heart against somebody? Is there someone you need to forgive or someone you need to let off the hook? Communion reminded you of that. Peter is reminding you again. You've got to take care of those things. Broken fellowship is going to stunt your, your spiritual growth. It will. And, and all that is going, and all these vices that Peter has mentioned will fuel broken fellowship. You can't have a strong, healthy, growing desire for God's word if your life is clothed in the very sins that the word of God condemns. You've likely heard this axiom. I think it's a meme too. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Right? It's true. I think that's what Peter is pointing out here. And that really leads us to the, to the second point, the second ingredient. ingredient. Here you have hindrances that pollute spiritual growth. Now he says there is a hunger that promotes spiritual growth. There is a hunger that promotes spiritual growth. So verse 1 calls us to maturity in negative terms. Verses 2 and 3 calls to maturity in positive terms. And, and notice that the metaphor changes here. It shifts. It goes from clothing to food. These are all, again, metaphors that we understand. Here is that metaphor. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. It's interesting. Did you notice that Peter doesn't tell us here to hear the word or to read the word or to study or to meditate on, or even to memorize the Word. Rather than commanding us to practice a particular behavior, Peter says he commands us to adopt a certain attitude towards the Word. A a cultivation, a a, a longing for. This is a, a deep, abiding desire. In fact, The fact that he uses that little simile, like newborn infants, it gives you this idea. This is connected to the new birth. This is connected to to the new desires that we now have. We have this longing, just like a newborn comes out of the womb ready for milk, right? Wanting milk, wanting nourishment. So the believer, this new birth that has happened in us, There is this longing for the Word. That should be true of us. This is a strong and persistent desire. This goes beyond a 60-minute Sunday morning sermon. And yes, I do realize sometimes I near 60 minutes. Very rarely I go over 60 minutes. But I realize. But it goes beyond that. It's, it's, It's more than just hearing. It's more than reading. It's more than even following along. It is this 
deep, persistent, strong longing for this precious and pure word. Job 23.12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Psalm 19, verse 10, talking about the word, he says, they are more, talking about God's law, they are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words become to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Like a newborn babe, an infant delights in the nutrition that its mother provides, right? Notice notice the language there. The word to, to Job and Jeremiah and David. The word, God's law, His instruction, it's treasured. It's desirable. It's sweet. It's, it b- brings joy and delight. I wonder this morning, is that how you view the Word of God? This is not a check mark that you hit, right? I know we're doing Anchored in the Word, and, and that's a great thing. And we've got a little box for you to check that you've done the reading. But it's more than that. Peter is calling us to this persistent, natural, strong desire and longing for the Word. Let me remind you about what Peter has already said about the Word, because this isn't the first time. Go back to chapter 1, verse 23. And notice that Peter says, For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, that is, through the what? Living and enduring Word of God. So let me just point out a couple of things about the Word. First, we see that this is a regenerating Word. It it is a life-giving Word. This Word, these Scriptures were instrumental in your conversion. You heard and you believed. That's what he says In verse 25 of chapter 1, this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. And as believers, you heard it and you believed it. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 10, right? Faith comes by hearing. You heard the message, right? And hearing by the word of Christ, right? The word is the means. It's the instrument that God uses to cause you to be born again, to bring you new birth by the Spirit. And we know from other passages that, like Hebrews chapter 4, that this Word is living. It is alive. There's only one book on this planet that is living. The rest are dead books, right? Martin Luther said of the Bible, this book is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. This book is living. D. 
Do you recall at the end of chapter 6 when there's a, a mass exodus of Jesus' disciples because his words were too difficult? And do you remember that it was Peter who said when Jesus asks the twelve if they were going to leave as well, that Peter's response is, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Your words are living. Where else can we go? Your word is alive. It gives sustenance. It gives life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, talking about the book, talking about Scripture. The book has wrestled with me, smitten me, comforted me, smiled on me, frowned on me, clasped my hand, warmed my heart. The book weeps with me. It sings with me. It whispers to me. It preaches to me. It maps my way and holds up my goings. It was to me the young man's best companion. And it is still my morning and evening chaplain. It is a lie. It is Alive, a live book, all over alive. Spurgeon's right. This book is living. It has the capacity to, to pierce us, not only in conversion, but also in sanctification. It's a, it's a regenerating book. Later, Spurgeon says, this is one of my favorite quotes of Spurgeon, I, I have read other books, but this book reads me. Why? Because it's living. Because it exposes me, right? It, it, it exposes who I am. It exposes what I need to be. It's a living book. It's a regenerating book. I've often entered the pulpit in a church empty or tired, even unprepared like this morning, right? Because I didn't know I was preaching this sermon. It happens. But listen, this book, this book's never empty. It's never tired. It speaks. It's alive. Of course we should long for it. As Peter did, you have the words of eternal life. There's life in your word. Where else can I go? We also see it's an enduring word. At the end there of verse 23 It's through the living and enduring word. I don't need to say too much about that other than it's never obsolete. It's never irrelevant. It's never outside of its time. It's never been exhausted. It extends in every age. All right? It's living. It's enduring. That's not the case for grass. That's not the case for flowers. That's not the case for Uh, nations and rulers and humanity. We are transitory. We are fading, fleeting, and passing by. What is Jesus' own view of the Word? It'll never fade. It'll never fade. It's never obsolete. It abides. It endures. It is eternal. And then when we look at what Peter says in chapter 2, we we notice that this is not only a regenerating and enduring word, but it is a a nourishing word. 
this word is not only the basis of our spiritual birth, it is the basis of our spiritual growth. That's a beautiful analogy that he uses there, newborn infants. I've already mentioned that for an infant, this is, a, this is natural, it's instinctive, this strong desire for milk. There's nothing a newborn craves more than milk. That sweet little wonder, right, comes out of the womb with this natural inclination for milk. For the nursing mother, it can seem like a one-dimensional focus on milk. But that baby doesn't care about what kind of fashionable clothing you've put it in. That's for you, right? It's little jimbery and whatever. I don't know what the fashionable things are. Mini Gucci shoes. I don't know. Right? The baby doesn't, he's not considering any of that. It's not on their mind. It doesn't care what color or, or what theme you put up in its nursery. Right? It, it cares about being nurtured. It cares about being held and, and kept warm and changed because no one likes soiled diapers. Right? And fed. And that baby's displeasure is often made known even at 3 o'clock in the morning. Right? When it needs to be fed, when it has that natural desire. And there's good reason for that, right? Because that milk provides the nourishment that that baby needs. That baby is going to grow up because that mother's milk is wonderfully designed by God. And by the way, that milk will be. The cause of the baby's growth for months without any other food. Before you introduce Cheerios and all that nasty Gerber stuff that you give them, right? Right? And not to mention, we know that that milk actually has antibodies that protect that little life. It's actually providing not only its nourishment, but its immunity. It's antibodies that protect that little life. It's, it's a defense mechanism. It's crazy. Well, I don't know if Peter knew all that. But this is true of the believer and the Word, right? We are nourished by the Word. We are protected by the Word. How, how, do we not, how are we not like, an in, you know, how are we not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? Why? Or how? By being built up, by maturing in the Word, right? We cannot survive on bread alone, but, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. We need it for our growth. We, we need it for our protection, right? It's a defense. Do you remember what Paul calls in Ephesians 6, the Word of God? He calls it the sword. The sword. That's not so you can hold it looking cool, right? It's for your protection. It's for your defense. It's so that you will be able to stand firm, so that you'll be able to grow. And so the Word, it nourishes, it protects. Why? Peter says, so that by it you may grow. Paul told Timothy that it was the 
scripture that made him wise unto salvation. That scripture that he heard from his mother and his grandmother. Right? That scripture that pointed out the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the need for a redeemer and a rescuer. That scripture, Timothy, it made you wise unto salvation. It made you aware of those things. It, it revealed and exposed those things. And now Peter says, this word will not only bring you to the point of realizing the need of salvation, it will grow you up to it. It, it is a sufficient word that will bring you through. That's what this word does. Listen, we don't hunger for the word, or I should say, we shouldn't hunger for the word merely to attain biblical knowledge, to, to show off our accumulated Bible data or to win Bible trivia. I love what one commentator said here. He says, quote, the true aim of Bible study is never a mere mastery of its contents, but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals himself in his word. Did you catch that? Not not a mastery of all of its contents, but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals Himself in His Word. You know, I would just encourage you, many of you are, are doing uh, Anchored in the Word, and it's, it's been such a great thing. Uh, Jack spends so much time preparing that for all of us, and it just kind of brings us along, and there's these questions that cause us to think deeply. Why? It's because we're, we don't just want you to check off the box. Sit there until you have heard from the Lord. Sit there until one piece, one phrase so impacts you. I mean, are we afraid of that kind of language that D. Edmund Hebert wrote? A transforming experience with the Lord. Beloved, don't let the charismatics hijack experience. All right? We are to experience the transforming reality of God's Word. He's not talking about some strange, esoteric experience that had nothing to do whatsoever with the Word. But you open and read, and by the power of the Spirit, that Word leaps off the pages and pierces you to the core. It either confirms and assures or it convicts. Perhaps over some striking reality about the character of God or perhaps it's some discerning piece of wisdom that you just gain from reading it. If you've had that transforming experience, you know it's an incentive for further meals, right? Yeah, if this is just a, a, a responsibility, if it's just an obligation versus a desire, one that's been caused because you've been born again and because you're His child, you, desert, you, you desire and long for the nourishment that His Word will bring because you know it it will strengthen you. It will steady you. You know it will provide you with what you need for ongoing, continual growth. You know it will protect you. 
protect you from your own vices and your own heart. It will protect you from malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and all the other things that Scripture says because you'll read them and you'll hear them. You'll be convicted by them. It will protect you from false teaching and false teachers. Why? Because you know His Word. You know that you might hear something like, that doesn't seem to jive with Scripture. I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that guy. Right? These are, these are things that nourish us. They, they protect us. They provide stability and strength for us. And, and even what Peter is doing here at the very end, you may notice that in verse 3, uh, the last part of it, if you have, and then it's tasted the kindness of the Lord, it's in all caps. Uh, this is an allusion to, it's a, it's a quotation from Psalm 34 about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And, and it kind of goes with that whole idea of this longing for the Word, that the pure milk of the Word and growth, it's, it's like if you've tasted of that and you have as a believer, if you've been born again, you've tasted of his kindness, it gives you an incentive to come back for more. You've experienced that. And that experience of the past will cause you to come back just as that nursing baby knows where the, the source of their sustenance comes from and, and returns again and again. And again, and again, because that baby knows that it is good. We have tasted of the Lord's kindness. We've tasted of the effects of His Word in our life. And so we continue. We come back again and again so that this command, long for the pure milk of the Word, it's something that we... We keep pressing into. We, we keep doing with this great desire because we know the growth that it causes. Beloved, listen. Spiritual growth isn't going to happen accidentally. right? It's in us. It's a great test for whether or not we're in the faith. right? Just as we, the Bible talks about us loving one another, that's a sign of our being born again. So also is our love for the Word, our longing. For the word, and if that's absent, perhaps salvation is absent. I'm not saying that's for sure, but it's certainly worth noting and looking into because the believer is one who longs for the word because they know they need it. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its, its the life giving reality that's found in it. We thank you that. That in your word is life. And that your word is inexhaustible. And that it is a, a meal, a sustaining meal over and over and over and over again. We can never exhaust its worth, its sufficiency. And so we thank you for that. May we, Lord, be built up by it. May we grow up as a result of our, our intake, as a result of our strong, persistent desire for the truth of your word, your pure word. 
So, Lord, have your work in the lives of your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.